Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of the Nantech Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Cutris, and joining me today is our news editor, Anton Shilov. Hello, guys. Now, Anton and I this week have been at Computex, the annual computer show here in Taiwan. We're currently sitting in our hotel room with a very large system testing a upcoming Intel processor, which we'll talk about later. But this week, we've been running from meeting to meeting, trying to get the news out to you guys of everything we can find. Now, this show, when we decided to come, we weren't expecting much, were we? Well, considering the fact that when, say when no big announcements supposed to be made, no, we didn't have a lot of expectations. However, uh, both Intel and AMD um, excited us with their uh, high end with their new high end desktop platforms. Yeah, well, th- th- this show it definitely wasn't more about products being announced today. It's it was all about stuff that's coming later in the year. I think. Uh, yes, that's for sure, except with exception of this uh, process you were just talking about. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that in a bit. But um, So first of all, I want to start talking about actually what was our most read article this week on Anantec, Um and that's relating to these new extreme workstation processors that are coming to market. Now, as Anton said, we've got one from AMD and one from Intel, and AMD the AMD news was by far the most read article that we had on site. And AMD's new part, it just belongs to this extreme workstation family that just now happens to exist. Now, previously, when we've had workstation parts before, these are high TDP, high core count parts, but really aimed just at the people who need additional compute, you know, sort of semi-professionals. Well, back in the day... um Workstations used to be actually light service, and today uh, the situation is changing. So instead of using um, Xeon or Epic processors for workstations, both Intel and AMD uh, actually introduce completely separate parts, which also tend to have extreme core count, but uh, also support overclocking. The downside, however, is that they lack things like ECC, vPro, and, well, multi-socket support, but at the same time, um, I'm not sure that anyone needs um, dual socket in the workstation world nowadays. It's the, the idea is that some of the uh, some of the enterprisey type features are cut out of these processors. So Intel isn't uh, Intel and AMD aren't cannibalizing some of their server market with just having this high end workstation part. However, Extreme Workstation is different. It's you know workstation on steroids. And the first, uh, the the main news we want to talk about essentially is AMD's Threadripper 2 announcement. So last year, AMD announced and released Threadripper. This was a six, uh, 16 cores, no, sorry, yes, 16 cores using the TR4 socket, which was based on the Epic Enterprise socket. And four channels of memory, lots of PCIe lanes, um, kind of shook the high-end desktop market to its core. And we so we went from a market which has gone slowly up from four, six, eight, ten cores, now to a market that had 16 cores. And speaking with AMD, the 1950X, the 16-core part, was by far and away the most sold Threadripper processor. Everybody wanted the high core counts. So one year later, Intel has already launched their second-generation Ryzen processors using uh, Zen Plus microarchitecture on Global Foundry's 12 nanometer. And now it's time to talk about 
updates to Threadripper using the new microarchitecture on 12 nanometer, and we get Threadripper 2. So the headline is all about cores. Threadripper going from 16 up to the top skew having 32 cores. That's 64 threads using AMD simultaneous multi-threading. And there'll be a 24 core pass as well. AMD at the show said, well, here, here's a demo. We looked in the slides afterwards and the demo was running at 3 gigahertz with a 3.4 gigahertz boost, but we're told that's still a work in progress. So with the new Zen Plus microarchitecture, we have better cache latencies, faster DRAM support. Uh, we tested the uh, second generation Ryzen over first generation Ryzen and saw a 3% IPC increase. So we expect to see the same thing on Threadripper too, but against Threadripper. Um, but at a, at a cost of a rather extreme TDP. Oh yeah, TDP goes up. So in the 16 core parts, we saw TDP of 180. Uh, but now with a thread of two, we know that the TDP is about 250 watts. Now, that would make it far and away AMD's most highest TDP For consumer-related product, right? Because you, you remember the FX9590? Yes, but uh, it was mainly uh, aimed at other clockers who wanted uh, maximum uh, megahertz, that, that, who, who that. wanted to run them at maximum speeds. Uh, but now... Uh, the, the new thread number two is evidently not about uh, frequency, but about the core count. So back in the day, that FX 9590 was eight um, of the, was it third, uh, Vichera bulldozer-based cores. The idea is that it runs in at, running at peak five gigahertz and consume 220 watts. So for, a few, so for a bit more power, we're getting higher performance x86 cores and four times as many. Yeah, at, but, probably, at probably going to be at a lower at lower frequency still, but that's a nice trade-off. Uh, well, if you actually need that many cores, yes. Uh, but then again, if you actually need uh, thirty-two cores, uh, you will never look at uh, the effects at, at the old effects. <laughs> no, no. So um, these two hundred and fifty watts. Now it sounds like a lot. We were told by the partners that this is actually a very conservative number. Um, most chips probably won't even need 250 watts. They'll come in a lot lower and it gives AMD a bit of headroom. Uh, the way AMD counts its TDP is also a little different uh, and it's based on uh, the uh, ambient temperature and the thermal efficiency of the cooler and such. Um, but we expect t 250 to be you know, a very conservative number. That being said, we were told that uh, some motherboards that currently exist in the market might have trouble with these processors if you overclock them because of their intense power draw. As a result, we see new motherboards from MSI and Gigabyte. Uh, the MSI one, the X399MEG creation thing, had 19 power phases. That's 16 for the processor and uh, 3 for the SOC part. So, yeah, there's going to be new high-end uh, X399 refresh motherboards for this. However... It is backwards compatible with current X399. You will be able to run them, just you know, a few of them you might not be able to overclock as much. And keep in mind that you will also need a new cooler because of the higher TDP. Yeah, so AMD is, is promoting their new Wraith Ripper cooler, which is a massive new air cooler designed for 250 watts. Though unlike you know, the mainstream Ryzen processors that get bundled with a nice cooler, this Wraith Ripper will actually be a separate available purchase. Cooler Master are making it, um, and Cooler Master will sell it through their distribution channels. 
like I say, it's a massive beast, and but it will probably come in, you know, somewhere around seventy to a hundred dollars when it hits retail. We saw a lot of coolers on the show floor that actually built for the TR2 socket designed with a wider base as well. So there's going to be plenty of options available on the market for whatever cooling you want. Um, so Threadripper 1 had four memory channels. Threadripper 2 also has four memory channels. Now, Threadripper 1 used a four, four silicon die package where two of those dies were active and two were... Disabled. Disabled dead blank whatever you want to call it but in order to get up to 32 now all four dies are active now in in the threadripper one you had the two active dies each had access to two memory channels when with the new 32 core you still got two dies having access to two direct access to memory channels and the two now active dies don't have direct access to any memory channels so that means that those dies will have you know, an additional 50 nanoseconds of latency when trying to access main memory. Um, AMD doesn't think this will be much of an issue, except for the most memory-bound tasks. But then again, if you have a mem- memory-bound task, you may, may probably want to run uh, Epic instead of yeah, that, Threadover 2. That, that, was, that was kind of AMD's argument. All that being said, uh, we spoke about AMD and the Windows schedule especially. Uh, those secondary dies won't actually kick in until you hit 17 threads or 33 threads anyway. So it will populate the cores on the dies with access to the memory channels first, which kind of makes sense. Uh, this, the CPUs will be, like I said, overclockable, um, still waiting on final frequencies, still waiting on final price, still waiting on fi- final release date. We were told Q3, we expect it to be about around August because it was launched kind of August last year. Um, so very soon we're going to be start to start trying to get in some of the processors and some of the new motherboards to test. Um, and the so in terms of actual performance, the go-to benchmark on this is Cinebench, um, which uh, 1950X scored about 3,000. And this is double the core, was slightly higher IPC, but probably slightly lower clocks. So expect this to score about 6,000 um, Cinebench points. It's it's sticking 32 cores into the consumer market, even though it is extreme workstation market. Yeah, probably wouldn't have predicted it two, three years ago, right? Uh, definitely not. But you'll read reviews on an Antec as and when we get the chips. Um, I'm hopeful that we'll get them as soon as we can. So the other major announcement in the extreme workstation space was from Intel. In a very interesting, I don't know, maybe interesting is the wrong word, demo, where during Intel's keynote, they showed off a 28-core processor with all cores running at 5 gigahertz. Now, so technically on this announcement, we were pre-briefed. I got a pre-brief a few days before, though I was told that this would be a tech, show, a tech showcase. This is something we've been working in a lab and we want to show it off on stage. And then all of a sudden, they said, coming in, come in Q4. Yeah, so we weren't expecting it to be announced as an actual product. For Gregory Bryant, who's SVP and GM of um, Client Computing, to come out and say, this 28-core processor is coming out in Q4 was a shock. Now, so I don't have an actual recording of the, of the uh, presentation, he, he said it is coming in, uh, in Q4. 
He didn't say that five gigahertz was coming in Q4. Yes, that's for sure. Which, and... it, which, which was a bit of confusion in the press. Now it was, if you look at it, it's very obvious that you know 28 cores for Intel at five gig five gigahertz isn't going to be anywhere near manageable. Um, and to that extent, you know, looking back at the images of the press event, it was clear that the processor was overclocked. Um, you know, despite the fact that it was very difficult to actually see in the case that they presented because it was dark. And speaking with Intel afterwards, actually they were meant to say that the system was overclocked, but but for some reasons they have forgotten to do so. Yeah, they said you know you can take this as you know trying to rescue the story after the fact, or this actually as you know a genuine mistake of not saying overclocked. A lot of people you know. Post the presentation said, "Well, it was obvious it was overclocked." Well, th th there's 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 a difference when a company says, you know, explicitly one thing, so it no longer becomes a question. Everybody kind of guessed it was overclocked, but Intel kind of had to have said it was overclocked, really. Otherwise, no people people definitely saw it as a presentation that was kind of masking what exactly they were showing. I think if they said it was a tech showcase, it perhaps would have just been, you know, everybody would have been taken away. Yeah, and keep, and keep in mind that uh, overclocking um, an extreme core count CPU to 5 gigahertz is a lot of, uh, takes a lot of uh, expertise. So uh, if Intel can do it, uh, they certainly deserve kudos for that. Uh, the question is, how, how many chips did they have to go through to get it? Uh, well, a lot of them. But Probably, yes. then again... Um, Since we're talking about extreme workstations, which uh, which is a one percent of uh, the one percent, then you you can you can certainly go through say fifty uh, chips and find uh, find the gem. Well, so I mean, we got a chance to see the system the next morning. Um, so and on the stage, Intel said that they had both ASUS and Gigabyte working on this project um, and able to get five gigahertz watt. Intel didn't say is that apparently only Gigabyte's board was able to actually hit the five gigahertz. Um, but the next morning we got a chance to see the motherboard and the system used. And I think quite importantly, we got to see the cooling used because a lot of people looked at the, looked at the pictures that were dark um, saying, well, you know, is this a single phase cooler, which, you know, is essentially a sub-zero cooler, which is not going to be anybody's in anybody's home. Um, What they were using, in fact, was a water chiller. Now, if you're, if you know about aquariums, you know about cold water fish having to, you know, need chilled water to survive. Essentially, what they used was a massive water chiller. When I say massive, um, the company they used, Halia, their water chillers have been on the market for years. I used to have one for testing, and I sold it a few years ago. What they had was their second highest unit, which was that is the Halia HB1000 or HC1000B, which is actually a one horsepower chiller, which is good for chilling, I think, about 1,700 watts of CPU. Now, using a chiller for that needs 1,700 watts, you know, can ring alarm bells. Um, and the rest of the system we saw was just, you know, a very basic CPU. It was populated with memory six channel memory I should add so a lot of power was coming from the processor the power supply being used in that system was a Corsair 1600 watt power supply also the, a rare bed I was I must say 
Uh, what, sorry? Uh, that coastal power supply unit is also a rather a rare bird in, uh, in the workstations. Yeah. And uh, actually... It's using the high-end gallium nitride super-efficient yeah, uh, and MOSFETs. actually think about that, because you, you needed to find a CPU that could uh, hit 5 gigahertz uh, on 28 cores. Then you needed to find a motherboard that would... Uh, do it. That would do it. Then you need to find a cooler, and then you need to find a power supply. And uh, among all four, uh, four components, only power supply is actually something you can buy um, at Amazon. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's for sure. Because um, the motherboard, we got. I managed to get a closer look on the motherboard. Um, you know, this was a 32-phase motherboard, of which 29 were for the CPU, 28, 29 were for the CPU. So one phase per core. That's 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 nice and expensive. That if that was just a prototype board, um, it wasn't done with any styling or whatever. Because this product is still a few months away. But that board, you could tell easily a thousand dollars, if not you know fifteen hundred or more. Something like that is going to be extreme to the extreme. Um, it's very prominent. It's very obvious that this that, that the product is still a prototype. I mean, we saw six-channel memory. We were confirmed that it's using the uh, server sockets LGA thirty-six forty-seven. So this is, in essence, you know, an overclocked Xeon Platinum eighty-one eighty or eighty-one seventy-six. That's their super high-end ten thousand-dollar CPUs. So imagine taking a ten thousand dollar CPU, making it you know adjusting the firmware so you can overclock it, and then taking it to five gigahertz. That is essentially what this demo is. And uh, imagine how much will they charge for for that processor when it hits retail? Retail. Yeah, that's well. It's so the one thing that Intel didn't state was any sort of base frequency or turbo of what would be the shipping part. All they said is we can overclock to five gigahertz flat. Now, some people noted that, well, on one of some of the screenshots, especially with CPU-Z, you could see a 2.7 gigahertz um, base frequency, which ties into it being you know, one of the Xeon, one of the Xeon Platinums, just literally a Xeon Platinum 8180K, if you will. Um, um, well, keep in mind that if they say uh, we can overclock it to 5 gigahertz, uh, it's... It, it doesn't mean be, everybody else will. Yes, it, it first, it means that... It will will not hit five gigahertz uh, for everyone, not necessarily. And uh, the question is, uh, will it be actually available as a processor, or uh, it will be available only from select system makers who sell uh, complete systems, which are guaranteed to to overclock to five gigahertz? Well, so my takeaway is yes, it will probably be system integrators only. Chances of it being a sing- an individual product, you know, kind of like the FX9590 was back in the day. When that was first launched, it was just OEMs only that could only put in systems because that ensured that the cooling was right. Whether they get whether they sell 5 gigahertz rate systems, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, whether this is just a Skylake, uh, Xeon Skylake scalable processor with a Which, K added to the name, yeah, right? I is mean. Intel didn't confirm any of that. The only... Th- um, what happened with the presentation is that everybody came away with questions that weren't be that weren't obvious, and a lot of people felt that a lot of the lot of what was discussed was perhaps obfuscated, you know, on purpose, right? So after after all that, after we posted our stories, um, after a lot of discussion online, Intel actually 
um, gave us a ring uh, to come and discuss, you know, come and have you know extra talk um, with with one of the engineers. And you know, there's only two or three press there, two, three, four press there. So, and the only things that they would say on the record was, yes, we meant to say it was overclocked, uh, unfortunately, and it was. They did they did say they had overclocked in the practice that morning. It just wasn't said on stage. Um, they would confirm that it's uh, a 14 nanometer part. But... Which basically confirms that this is just a Xeon. It's Kylex scalable. Yeah, they didn't say whether, whether it was 14, 14 plus, 14 plus plus, or whatever. Um, though Intel has said that there will be a new Core X line of processors later in the year, which should mean Cascade Lake coming to users. Uh, whether that's as Xeons or as, well, they say Core X, so that's, take them at the word, Core X coming. This sort of project, this 28-core project, is unlikely to be a new Core X like that. It's, it's yeah, everybody's pretty set on it being a Skylake-based 14-plus part, which, again, means it's going to be power-hungry. Now, like I say, it uses, uses the same server socket. There are no consumer motherboards for that socket, so... It's going to be custom motherboards from Asus and Gigabyte for the SIs only. Um, so SIs are going to stick their markup on it. Um, and the question is, how will they brand it? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen some amusing names already based on the fact that it draws so much power. Basically, put Xeon plus any radioactive metal that glows. Uh, so Xeon radium, Xeon uranium, Xeon, Xeon plutonium. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. Now, so... After we spoke with Intel, um, you know, we wrote a piece, Tom's Hardware wrote a piece about it, and a couple of people did uh, criticize me for not nailing Intel to the wall, um, you know, saying, well, this is just Intel trying to obfuscate things, this is bad PR, this isn't uh, going the right way, and, you know, I fully take all your criticism on board. Um, we do speak to Intel a lot, and I would definitely say that I was the member of the press that spoke to the Intel PR team the most this week. Um, we actively sought out Intel for very specific one-on-one discussions about what was said, about how the how Intel didn't really explain the story about the processor. So, um, basic, so basically, we were talking about what wasn't said, unfortunately. So Yeah, th- 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 there are many ways that Intel could have um, taken this story and actually told the whole thing it was really sort of pick and choose and we're not we speak to the most senior person at intel who faces with the press right um you know can actively face with the press um without needing confirmation or pr training or what have you um and we gave all of our feedback and it was pretty extensive feedback and it it's you know it wasn't necessarily always calm feedback either this is this our discussions got very heated now what I said in my follow-up piece was meant to be more of a report um, rather than an extreme analysis right you you can take this uh, you can take what they said in two ways you can say well is it shady are they trying to hide it on purpose um, or is it just bad planning is it just they're not predicting what people will say after the announcement now I'm 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 definitely one to err on the side of caution. Um, there's a thing I like to invoke here called Hanlon's razor. 
uh, you know, don't attri- don't attribute something to malice or conspiracy that could just be attributed to you know bad planning or you know scooter language, but cock up before conspiracy. I think this was just a case of um, Intel not correctly planning the response. Now, some people will say that necessarily Intel has over over the recent years gone this way. They've been saying less and less about their products. And we've even said in articles, Intel have been saying less and less about products. And this is perhaps another example of they could have actually, they didn't need to say any more. They just need to, needed to say it in a better way, which, yeah, it's Intel are in a sense shooting themselves in a the foot with some of this. And yeah, in, in, in private, I am taking it to them saying there are better ways to do this. You have to do it in ways which, you know, will, you can do it in ways that will stop all of this commotion and discussion online because it ultimately it leads to people getting a bad taste in their mouth. It leads to a negative reflection of the brand. Oh, yeah, because... Uh... Definitely. If you're announcing a product, you should actually announce it like you announce a product. And if you're just showing something that is a, essentially is a technology showcase, then call it this way. As I said, as a, at the end of the day, 5 gigahertz and 28 cores is an achievement. It's quite an achievement. It's, it's, when, when we've seen demos before that involve overclocking, it's always been announced that hey, we're doing this with overclocking. Here's our guy, with, here's our extreme overclocker with liquid nitrogen. Or here's the liquid chiller we're using. And this is the whole exact setup. And keep uh, in mind, guys, that we are moving from extremes to mainstream. So in a few years of time, you may see an actual product that will have that many cores running at uh, such a high frequency. Or, yeah, or more recently, you know, a lower frequency, you know, the idea is to explain the perspective, and I don't think Intel did it that well. Um, some people, you know, really got aggressive in in um, in their responses to that, you know, through the media. Uh, I, I, I guess, was more muted given that I had spoken extensively to Intel. And, you know, I am passionate about these things. Don't let perhaps the um, more calmer nature of my news posts... Uh, deceive that we do speak a lot with these guys and they speak a lot with us both intel and amd they they reach out to us on the on these sorts of things um especially when yeah we've got a lot to say about them and as 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 it was clear in the comments everybody else does too so intel are gonna talk more with us as and when they want to you know announce more information or you know, how they approach what they are announcing. And um, as more information comes through, you know, we'll definitely tell you what's going on as much as as much as we can, as much as we know. Um, Hot Chips is coming up in August. Um, and if AMD is coming out with Threadripper 2 in, you know, the August timeframe, then chances are we'll see Intel start to talk a bit more about this product, about exactly where it stands, how it stands, what it's going to be, you know what are the cores, what are the core counts, what's the TDP, what are the frequencies, how this is going to be. You know, if if there's going to be lower down core count parts, or we're just going to go straight from 18 to 28 core. You know, all of this is still unsaid. And um, no, I agree with a lot of you in that Intel opened it, opened itself up to too many questions. Now, whether there are too many questions, people 
theorize a lot and you know some of it's positive and it just so happens that a lot of it has turned out to be negative and we are talking about them with this trust me when i say this and in any case uh what we, we what we can uh just summarize here is that amd will offer certainty calls to everyone um with with a new trader over two platform by contrast Intel hasn't made it clear whether it plans to offer this processor to end users at all or just an SI project. Yeah, so given given this time by the end of the year when you know, both Intel and AMD have launched their product, I, I will be able to go out to Amazon and buy a Threadripper 2. I may not be able to go out and buy an Intel 28 core unless it's part of a pre-built system. That's going to be an interesting shift in the market. It definitely is. So whether that's actually going to mean a shift in sales, uh, you know, a lot of people still trust the Intel platform regardless of what AMD's got coming out. Um, yeah, and Extreme Workstation, if it's going to be classified as a new market segment like this or whether it's just going to be bundled into high-end desktop um, will be interesting to see. Now, if we consider, you know, 2019, it's coming out in 2019, um, we're still waiting on Intel to talk about talk more about 10 nanometer, and we're still and uh, AMD has said that the next generation after that will be on Global Foundry 7 nanometer, and we're waiting on Global Foundries to hit high volume manufacturing on 7 nanometer for CPUs. That's going to happen sometime next year. Well, uh, thing is, Lisa did announce at Computex that they uh, received. Uh, their first uh, seven nanometer epic samples uh, a while ago, so a short while ago, I suppose, and this essentially means uh, that this CPU is at least a year away. So perhaps they are lucky and uh, they will they will be able to roll out a little bit earlier. But I wouldn't expect uh, the next gen Ryzen in early 2019. You heard it here. <laughs> that on the on the Intel side, so. We did, uh, we did hear words that Intel will be launching new 14 nanometer parts for laptops end of the year called Amber Lake and Whiskey Lake. These are four and a half watt and 15 watt parts. Get more 14 nanometer. Um, Anton and I were talking earlier, and Anton rightly points out that if you launch a new 14 nanometer product in Q4 2018, chances are you won't launch a 10 nanometer product, and I'm using air quotes for 10 nanometer. Uh, in the first half of 2019. There's no point in launching them very soon after each other. Well, first of all, uh, we did hear Intel CEO saying that uh, the company's 10 nanometer products will be available in 2019, but he didn't commit to the first half of the year, so evidently uh, they're coming in the second half of the year. And uh, considering uh, how PC makers refresh, uh, their product lineups, it means uh, back to school at the earliest. Back to school for everybody not in America usually means sort of Christmas time. Oh. Well, back to school uh, is so, usually yes. from August to September, right. and typically they, but, they announce new, new parts, uh, new mobile parts in August. However, um, this time they, they, their announcement shifted again, so... Really, we do understand that it's the second half of the year, and that means back to school at the earliest. So I wouldn't even expect uh, Intel to introduce a 10 nanometer CPU lineup, not just single part, um, part of, or single product at Computex next year. Yeah, I was getting mixed up between holiday season and back to school. That's 
yeah, it's been that sort of a week. Um, so yeah, it's 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 if if AMD managed to execute on seven nanometer across the whole stack before Intel starts getting ten nanometer out the door, yeah, that'll be a very funny situation. Yeah, but then again, uh, if you throw away those numbers like seven or ten. Um, Global Foundry's 7 nanometer uh, and Intel's 10 nanometer have a lot of similarities. So in terms of uh, transistor density, those processes, uh, those process technologies are close. So uh, 7 or 10, it doesn't mean uh, that AMD will have a clear advantage here in terms of uh, power frequency or transistor density. But from numbers point of view, AMD will be ahead of Intel. But Earlier in the year, we got a chance to actually visit Global Foundry's Fab 8, where they're going to be making the uh, next-generation processors. And they were very open about the technology, and I fully expect that when the time comes, they'll want to speak about the refined details of uh, Global Foundry's 7 nanometer, just like Intel spoke in depth about their 14 nanometer process back in the day. Hopefully, Intel, again, speaks about their 10, 10 nanometer in the same way at roughly the same time. Uh, it's next year, I think Q3 is going to be an interesting time yeah. to follow. And guess what happens in the middle of Q3? It's the Hot Chips Conference. Oh, yeah. Which is, yeah, I always like Hot Chips. It's always very technical. Um, so I'm going to look forward to that. In terms of other things at the show, um, I wanted to dedicate the sort of next part of the podcast to all the other interesting parts. And speaking of Intel, I guess this is the point where we talk about Intel's anniversary processor. They announced at the keynote uh, the Core i7-8086K. Now, this is the 40th anniversary of the 8086, Intel's first x86 processor. And they actually launched it 40 years to the day. So that was June 8th, and we're recording this on June 10th. So what makes this special? Well, Intel are going to only launch 50,000 units worldwide um, of this Coffee Lake-based 6-core processor. Of which, of those 50,000 units, 8,086 of which will be part of a global giveaway, which was literally you had to sign up within 24 hours after the um, after the June 8th launch, I think it was. So by the time this podcast goes out, it's definitely way too late. Um, I know I entered it. Did you enter it, Anton? Yes, I did. Um, funny thing is, you could enter it with multiple email addresses. And there's a trick with Google. I managed to enter it 37 times. Oh, really? Um, so we'll see if I even get one. Uh, but, you know, it's an interesting tactic from Intel. Let's launch a, an anniversary edition part and let's make it limited edition and let's limit the quantity in the channel. But um, how good it is, is whole another story. So the headline for this is this 8086K is Intel's very first 5 gigahertz CPU for consumers. Um, they've done 5 gigahertz test chips in the past, but this is one that's actually coming to retail. Um, like I said, it's Coffee Lake based, it's six cores. It's basically meant to be a one-up from the, their current high-end mainstream parts, the Core i7-8700. Um, we know it uses the same thermal interface as the 8700K, so if you remember a few generations ago, Intel launched Devil's Canyon, uh, yes, which was the 4790K. That was meant to be an upgrade over that generation, but actually focused towards overclockers, so it was better binned, you know, higher frequency, and you should be able to overclock it better. In this case, the 8086K isn't 
an overclocking focused part. All they've done is said, well, hey, we're going to you know, accelerate up to five gigahertz. Now, to be clear on that, that's not all cores at five gigahertz. It's just the single core turbo goes up to five gigahertz. Suggested retail price is 425 US dollars. That's without a cooler, obviously, um, compared to the i7-8700K, which I think is uh, 369 or 389 retail. Uh, yes. Uh, in fact, it's sold beyond, below MSRP. So so you're looking at, a, you know, what, an 80 do- a 60 to $80 increase to go from the 8700K to the 8086K. You know, if you can find one in stock, we expect these things to sell very quickly. Now, from our perspective, normally when Intel launches a processor like this, especially a high-end Halo, you know, we get a sample in advance, we get to test it, and then on the day it actually comes out on retail, we'll post our review. This time around, Intel told us nothing. Um, we asked them afterwards, and there are no, absolutely no plans to seed samples to the press for review. Um, I think because they, it, they can assume they can sell all 50,000, so why need the extra? Um, all I know is when I spoke to, to our people at Intel, they said that you know, it was, they, they, they have no review samples to send out because it was decided not to. Um, so in order to actually test it, we had to go out and buy one. Uh, was it yesterday morning? Yes. Yeah, we, before we had our meetings at Computex, we ran over to uh, Guanghua Digital Plaza. Um, I put down my credit card, and they very kindly... Uh, handed over the CPU, which is a limited edition one. Yeah, they, they already had stock. So what should have been a, a 425 USD MSRP, I picked up for 488, including tax and including a nice 2% credit card charge, uh, which it actually still works out to be cheaper than if I'd bought it back home in the UK. So that was fun. Uh, so we bought one, and we're literally testing it now. Um, Anton and I, which are you both, can hear, if, if if depending on how Gavin has edited this, you might be able to hear some fans in the background. That's because the system is currently running PC Mark Ten benchmarks. Um, so I had thought that something might come out, and I should bring like a power supply, a motherboard, CPU cooler, memory. Um, I just then I decided my bag was too heavy before I came to Taiwan, so I had to call out. And I have to ha- give a big thanks to, to ASRock here because when I picked up the CPU, we went to the show floor and I went around asking companies, you know, can we borrow the hardware to test this before we go home? Now, uh, a couple of companies said, well, a couple of, so because it was last day of the, uh, last day of Computex is, is the public day. So most of the PR people go home. Either they fly back to the country or the local people, you know, it's their day off. So I, I messaged around and a few people said, well, you know, headquarters are closed or um, we're doing other things. I'm not in Taipei anymore, that sort of thing. So big thanks to ASRock. I bumped into them on the show floor and I said, please, 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 can I borrow a system so we can do the testing? And they, they bust one over to me that night with a couple of RX 580s uh, and an 8700K. So we're currently running tests now. The idea is that uh, my script should finish its test uh, within a few hours, I guess, and then it's just write, 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 and hopefully by the time this podcast goes out, the review will be live. Now, it's it's we've already done, like I say, we've already done some initial testing. Um, I've already gone through the BIOS and seen all the options, and you know, one of the questions that came out was, well, okay, it's five gigahertz turbo and four gigahertz base, but what are all the per core turbos? 
And I can say now, if you've not read our review already, that uh, all the per-core turbos for this processor is the, are the same as the 8700K, except for single core. So single core goes up from 4.7 to 5.0, but the rest are the same. And this is probably why Intel didn't want to sample anybody, because now you have a $80 premium on a part that just increases the single core turbo by 300 megahertz. And uh, that is, that's why uh, it's called limited edition, probably because it has a limited amount of benefits over the existing uh, 8700K product. It's, yeah. The minute, the minute I saw this, I, I kind of, my heart sank because back when Devil's Canyon was launched, you know, all the, all the per-core turbos got a boost, right? You actually got a significantly far, well, you got a faster product overall. Because this limited edition own, you know, only goes up to 5 GHz on the single core and the rest of the per-core turbos are the same, I'm expecting most of my benchmarks to actually get the same, right? Out of the you know, 80 or so benchmarks we do, the single-threaded ones, will, yeah, we'll see an increase. But all the multi-threaded ones, we won't. But uh, keep in mind that actual use cases uh, include uh, running multiple programs at the same time. So uh, yeah. it's the, the, r- real, uh, real end users might, might not see that 5 gigahertz at all. Yeah, these, these days, because there are so many ba- pr- programs in the background running, eating up a thread or two, yeah, you can't have a single core turbo is almost meaningless these days. You need a dual core turbo to actually be quite high in order to mean something. Now, it's it it's it's sad that this is the case, right? It's you're still using the same thermal material. It's still the same chip underneath. It might be been slightly better, but we're probably expecting to see the same overclock. I haven't had a chance to overclock it yet. That's something for me to do at three a.m. Uh, when the rest of the benchmarks finish. Um, what, yeah. we, what we do know is that uh, one of the journalists from uh, Jagat Review uh, deleted it and could hit 7.2 gigahertz uh, frequency with uh, liquid nitrogen. Yeah, uh, it's Alva Jonathan, or going by his overclocker name, Lucky Noob. He's a good friend of mine. We talk a lot because um, our background is both in extreme overclocking. And he... Uh, he posted pictures online, and I had a chat with him. The fact that he's taken, or he bought this, he bought the processor himself at the same shop we did. Uh, he instantly delidded it, replaced the thermal paste with liquid metal, um, and he's using it for sub-zero overclocking, seven point two gigahertz. That's great for the extreme overclockers. You know, Skylake as an architecture and Skylake derivatives, you know, are probably good for around seven point four in that space, but. That's okay for extreme overclockers. What about the rest of us? You know, Intel could have easily taken this product, added an extra 10 watts of TDP, going from 95 to 105 watts, and get got a better all-around performance gain from you know base to all core to you know five four three two core, and then still kept the five gigahertz single core turbo. As it stands, I'm not expecting to see much more benefit over an 8700K, and that's why Intel is not sampling the press because they're going to turn around and say, well, it's going to show up only on a few select benchmarks. Nobody's going to see it in the real world and it costs $80 more. Well, keep in mind that Intel uh, has a refresh, uh, uh, has a product lineup refresh coming up in Q4 or maybe a little bit earlier and therefore it cannot uh, release a product that would 
actually rival uh, that uh, refresh. So Q4, Intel has already said we're going to launch an eight-core Coffee Lake part. Well, they, they will have to update six-core parts as well. No, I don't think that's necessarily true. It's going to be interesting if they did, but they've already said this is Coffee Lake, right? If they want to update it, they need something beyond Coffee Lake, I think. So, but you're right in the fact that you know eight, an eight-core parts that's going to be the high-end product for that line, if it's a line or if it's just a few processors, that has to be a higher performance than this limited edition part. Otherwise, there's almost no point to it. You could argue that it being limited edition means that you know, Intel is restricting the supply, so everybody has to go to the other part anyway. Um, you know, th- there are many ways to have done this. It's, this. This doesn't seem to me like this would be the best way. Based on what I know, which isn't, you know, Intel knows what their roadmap is. I don't. But as it see, as it's from here, it, it's, yeah. When the review comes out, hopefully you guys will, will read it. Um, I'm going to let the results do the talking, if I'm honest, because, you know, that's what we do here in Antec. But looking looking from this side of it, yeah. I'll see the numbers when, when the tests all finish. Well, uh, performance, of course, matters, but since uh, only 50,000 of such CPUs will ever be made, uh, it's likely that uh, at some point this chip will become available collectible uh, item for those who collect CPUs. Now, so back in the day... AMD launched the T- TWKR processors, which oh, yeah. were you know, tweaker. The, the, the tweaker processors, specifically for overclockers. There was only 100 given out worldwide and given, not sold. Um, those are collectibles because there's only 100, and it was only given out. It wasn't, it wasn't sold, only given out to select individuals. And I know some people who still have them. There are 50,000 of these, of which 8,000 are being given out, uh, a given part of the sweepstakes. Yeah, I don't see it much of a collector. Give it 10 years for CPU collectors, yes. For well, now, uh, no. And f- well, f- for now, you're looking f- you're look- if you're buying a processor now, you want performance. And when it comes to performance, this, this guy uh, doesn't really shine when compared to a much cheaper uh, 8700K. It's, it's, it will definitely be Intel's fastest mainstream processor to date, which, well, is, which is a plus, but yeah. It's how much do you how much do you value that extra increase? Now we've spoken about Intel perhaps a bit too much now, so let's move on to the rest of Computex, which wasn't about processors. Um, so the first product I wanted to talk about actually was the uh, new ASUS ROG gaming smartphone. Now we don't normally see gaming and smartphone in the same sentence. Uh, previously, we'd seen uh, Razer launch their Razer phone, which was um, a very a very rectangular it was a rectangular device that was quite sharp on the edges but it had two front facing speakers and a 120 hertz OLED display uh, this Asus ROG phone is it's it's built like a phone it's nice to hold in your hand if you need to use it as a phone but its gaming credentials uh, were, were that they're using the Snapdragon 845 SoC so that's Qualcomm's highest performance SoC currently in the market and it's in all the flagships however they're using it at a faster frequency than than is normal. They're running it at 2.96 gigahertz rather than 2.8, which is actually the same frequency frequency as the Snapdragon 850, which is a processor designed for always connected PCs, you know, laptops running Windows. So this is this is meant to be a super fast gaming phone that's easy to hold. Um, 
like I say, it is a direct competitor to the Razer phone, uh, but with and it's but it's got much newer hardware. It's using a 90 hertz AMOLED display um, rather than you know the 120 hertz OLED. So there are trade-offs for each of those decisions. The ASUS phone will come with eight gigabytes of DRAM in two versions, a 128 gig storage and a 512 gig storage. And that means that the eight gig and the eight gig DRAM with 512 gig storage is going to be nice and expensive. Uh, the press, the screen is six inches at 2160 by 1080, so it's not a QHD screen. It's just a 18 by nine version of uh, an FHD screen. Though what I will say is, uh, I could when I wrote this story up, I could have taken it in three different ways because there are different ways to tackle the smartphone. I the one I chose, um, which is I think is going to be more important for smartphones in general, is that for this smartphone. Asus decided to have an 11 millimeter thickness in Z height. Now, modern smartphones, you know, like your um, Galaxy, your Apple, your LG, your HTC, they all play around in sort of the seven to eight millimeter thickness range. Because Asus for this smartphone has done 11 millimeters thick, there's tons of extra ba- there's tons of extra volume in there, up to 50 percent extra volume to put more stuff. Now, more stuff means things like more battery, means better haptics, means additional ways to control the thing. In this case, it also means things like Y-Gig support and shoulder buttons. There's three Type-C connectors in, in, in the smartphone. There's definitely a three and a half millimeter jack. Um, you know, so there, there is extra room. Now, don't get me wrong, this phone is big. You know, I use a LG V30 Plus as my daily, um, and that's a big phone, but this is, this is, this is probably big. It's, you will need big pockets to hold it. Now, because it's a gaming phone, the idea is that you play on it constantly, right? Well, and for this reason, it actually comes with an external cooler and uh, some additional external um, controls in case you want to play on it on your TV, like you do on the Nintendo Switch. Well, so the there's, they're, what they're doing is they're bundling the cooler. They're, they're bundling a cooler like clip-on in the box of the phone. So when you buy the phone, you get this additional cooler, which has a small fan on it to help with sustain with frame rates during sustained gaming. And also the cooler, you know, when I was holding it, felt it kind of cooled your hands. And if you've done a, a big gaming session and your hands get sweaty, you want them to you want them to cool down, and that kind of helped with that. The idea is you've got you know this high end Snapdragon, and you want performance for top performance for you know, an hour or two hours. So the idea with this is. If it cools the phone down, you get better sustained performance. It also includes a, a Type C and a three and a half millimeter jack. And the way it clips on, it's so if you're holding it landscape, it clips in the middle. Now, if you're holding it like you're holding, say, you know, a console controller, you want the cables coming out of the middle. You don't want them coming out the side, as with current smartphones. Otherwise, they get in the way. And so ASUS recognise this, and that's why they're bundling it in with the phone rather than it being you know, sold as an additional accessory. Now, on the additional accessories, there's going to be a few. Um, so, as Anton was saying, there's going to be sort of like a desktop dock to use in PC mode. Um, there's also going to be the Y-Gig dock to play like the Nintendo Switch. Uh, in fact, they says that the Y-Gig will be supplied with the phone, if I'm not mistaken. No, no. <laughs> That's going to be I too am. expensive. It's, yeah. It, they had a lot of people talking smartphones, so... Um, there's also going to be like a, a like like a controller clip in, so you can have a dual screen gaming, which includes like an extra six thousand milliamp hour battery. 
Chris and the Gaming. This is all, I mean, it's going to be a product. They're near final with a lot of this stuff. Um, we're told that review units are coming September and price still TBD. Um, we're on list. Uh, we'll get one and we'll see how it compares to the Razer phone. Um, interestingly, I bought three phones to the show this year. I didn't bring the Razer phone, um, which would have been a nice comparison. Uh, but we'll get it in and we'll see what happens. Next topic to discuss is uh, something about glitz and glamour. One of the impressive things at the show we saw was uh, G-Skill showing off their uh, Concept DDR4 heatsinks, um, which they're calling the, their Royal. It's That's just a prototype name. But in uh, standard modern RGB memory just uses like a standard diffuser to do all the sort of LED effects. What G-Skill here is doing like a crystalline structure around each of the DRAM modules. And uh, it looks extremely impressive, I must say. If, if in, in the way that Swarovski crystals usually look good, and when they're done right, they can look expensive, right? They can actually look like proper um, precious gems. The goal here was that, you know, G-Skill actually wanted their heat sinks to look like proper precious gems, but with RGB shining through them. And it, it creates an angle, it's a diffuse angled light that, you know, it looks like there's a light shining through a gem and it's doing, you know, all, it, all of its angled uh, reflections. Yeah, it so. looks very impressive. And the big question is whether you can match uh, this design with other hardware in your PC. Yeah, so you're suggesting that somebody should have a cooler that has a crystalline, you know, fascia with RGB LEDs or... Uh, well, GPU. something like that, yeah. I can see modders doing that, whether somebody like Asus or, or Gigabyte or whoever decides to do it. I'm not so sure. Perhaps G-Skill are going to have to start up some relationships. But that was definitely one of the impressive visual things that I saw. Um, perhaps more on the server side for this one. Now, we've seen you know Epic go into uh, servers and enterprise and you know proper professional workstations. What we haven't seen so far is Ryzen. Now, Intel's, uh, Intel's low-end workstation parts, um, you know, the Xeon E3 1200 series or the upcoming Xeon E series, they're all sort of quad-core entry. Um, but they're all designed for, like, microservers, and they all have management tools. They all have what's known as a BMC or uh, an I IPMI chip, you know, an A-speed AST2500 chip with some memory so that you can connect your networking in, and even when the system has power but is turned off, you can still manage it and you can manage it at a distance. We've not seen that with Ryzen until the show when uh, Tyon was showing off their, um, I think it was called a Bobcat or Cougar system, which had, which was just an AM4 socket, um, you know, kind of standard layout. They had two versions, one with uh, an integrated embedded uh, GPU, the E8850, you know, for the embedded market. And there's, there's going to be one version with, you know, a, this A-speed BMC chip. Um, and they said, you know, that's coming in Q3. And that was just an interesting thing that, you know, we've not seen before. Now, here's one that's going to be uh, going to be everywhere. So Asus Asus's main brand for consumers is ROG. And everybody knows ROG. Yeah. Um, now, for a while, and actually, so ROG, they have ROG Normal, and now they have ROG Strix, which is kind of the like the entry level into gaming sort of thing. 
Um, it used to be sort of like their zero decibel brand, but they just made it into their entry-level gaming. Now, for years and years, they've had the, their tough brand, you know, the Ultimate Force. And originally, it was designed for motherboards that had you know, extra rigidity, and it was based on you know, dust protection and longevity. It seems like that the tough branding is now moving into more sort of a into a more low cost type of brand for Asus. And what Asus has done is they've paired with quite a lot of industry level companies in terms of power supplies, in terms of memory, in terms of coolers, such that they all contain the tough alliance, tough branding. Oh well, yeah, and uh, that's bas- that's quite impressive, to, I must say. Um, because when you see uh, hardware with similar design patterns uh, coming out from different manufacturers. So you can buy your tough motherboard from, your t- a- from Asus, then you buy um, a cooler from, from, say, Cooler Master or an Air Max, then you buy a PSU from another supplier. And then also DRAM. And also DRAM and uh, from G-Skill, for, well, for did, example. Do we see any tough branded cases? Not yet. Uh, only only uh, modded. If I'm not mistaken, Cooler Master is supposed to have uh, them. Okay, but they weren't showing them at the show. Uh, probably not, but um, but well, uh, Cooler Master is uh, is well, was among the first to announce uh, their uh, their tough branded stuff. Yeah, their, their 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 plan to join the tough alliance. So yeah yeah cases are definitely incoming because cases are the main products for color master basically it's it's asus know the value of a good brand and it's definitely clear at this show they're trying to expand the tough brand into something more than just two or three motherboards i mean there were even laptop tough branded laptops oh yeah so it's not just pc components they're going with this they they're they're, going to go you know across the range now whether it'll work or not you know, Asus and ROG, Asus and ROG Strix are known figures now. Um, and, you know, for me, tough has always been... Tough? Left, as in a tough, T-O-U-G-H, yeah. as in it's it's for products that can withstand additional stress. But that's no longer the case. It's just meant to be for an entry level. So that's going to be an interesting one. Um, sticking with Asus, they announced two products at the show, one for retail, one prototype. Um, but the key message with both is that they have dual two screens. These are laptops with two screens each. Now, the prototype one uh, called Project Precog is basically a laptop where uh, a clamshell laptop with the normal screen and where the keyboard is would normally be. That's actually a full screen as well. Yeah. So it's it's like a book where you know two both sides are screens. The idea here is that you know the bottom screen can be anything. It can be a keyboard. It can be um, additional controls for Adobe. It can be, it can just be a picture. It's still a prototype in the works um, because, you know, having a laptop that's thin and light also has two screens, that's going to draw a lot of power. Um, They said it's going to include the Intel Movidius chip to help with AI. So the idea is that it learns your workflow so if you bring one hand over the display, it means you're going to move something about and tap. But if you bring two hands over the display, you're going to type. So it shows up the keyboard automatically. Those sorts of things. Now, with as everything with AI, it's all about the software. How much effort ASUS are going to put into a single product? It's uh, something that remains to be seen. Yeah. I mean, you could say, well, dual screen laptops are the future. And, you know, I'm not so sure. 
it's if they can get the power consumption of the displays down, maybe. Uh, but well, in fact, Intel uh, announced uh, displays with very low power consumptions at their event. So, uh, if ASUS uh, decides uh, to use those displays, to, to use those displays, yeah, it, it, it can actually uh, end up with a battery life that is that we are so familiar with. It's we'll see. It's, the th- the thing with the keyboard is you know especially as people who need to type fast to get with breaking news. I need something with some form of haptic feedback, you know, and depressing keys is feedback. Tapping a screen isn't. Um, yeah, that's for sure. And keep in mind that if you actually go with uh, two, two screens that uh, have um, constraints in, in terms of uh, brightness or contrast uh, ratio, then um, you, and, uh, you won't be able to address all types of customers. So, for example, I need a very bright displays, a very bright display on my laptop where I edit photos for the publication. And I, I, if, it's, I, I, if it's not there, then it's. And I need long battery life because I end up flying all across the world, and I need something that's going to be sustainable through, you know, on the flight. Yeah. You know, when I don't have a power socket because you know certain airlines don't for twelve hours. It's it's yeah, it's definitely an interesting upcoming project. Um, and prototype, and they say, you know, maybe next year they'll be on the latest generation processors and they'll have something more near a retail product. But that wasn't the only thing that Asus announced with dual screens. They're also the new Asus ZenBook um, Pros. Now, what they've done here is you've got your normal screen, but your uh, trackpad, instead of it being a, like, you know, a pad, is now actually a 5.5 inch display as well. It's essentially like adding a smartphone to your laptop. The idea here being, well, you can still use it as a trackpad. You can put, you know, custom pictures on it to personalize the experience. Or you can use it as an extended display so you can, you know, drag YouTube videos down. Or you can use it as a quick way to access your uh, music player. Or when you open certain programs like Microsoft Word or Excel, not only will you use the, the, the screen pad as a trackpad, but it also has uh, quick shortcuts for bold, italics, underlying functions. Yeah, pretty much the same you have with uh, uh, Apple's uh, Touch Bar. Yeah. But and frankly speaking, I never use it. Yeah. This, because this... Uh, when, I, when I type, I look at the screen, and therefore I can just uh, use uh, the control switch on the screen. And... But uh, you, you and I, we're both used to doing, you know, bold is control B, and italics yeah. is control I. That's natural to us. So we're not going to click on a touchpad to do it. We're just going to do of it. Of course. But, yeah, but maybe people who actually have to look on the keyboard when they type find, it, find this feature useful. It's... But then again, that's a, that's, that laptop is called uh, Asus ZenBook Pro, and which means that it's aimed at pros who... People, people, these people are going to spend $2,000 on a laptop. Yeah. Then, yeah, so they know what they're doing and they want they need something that works for them. Um, it's, yeah, interesting concept. And, you know, I could definitely see using it for personalization. Um, and then, you know, if you need things like a movie, uh, a music player or something, then, yeah. But utility beyond that is going to be interesting, whether it's actually going to be useful for the people buying those products. Um, you know, not to put a downer on Asus. It's definitely a, a nice thing to do engineering-wise, um, which is always a plus. Also at the show, um, we saw a lot of discussions about uh, next-generation NAND flash. Um, 
this the, 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 this was a, this was this mostly came from a meeting um, that we managed to you know synchronize uh, kind of last minute um, with Maxio technology. But you know this is your field, Anton. What, well, yes, uh, as you know, Intel and Micron recently launched uh, their. SSDs for data centers, uh, which which are based on QLC memory, that kind of memory which uh, holds uh, four bits of information uh, in one cell. So it's a new one from uh, from TLC that is uh, used widely today. And one of the one of the things about z- those uh, drives is that both Intel and Micron um, aim them at uh, applications that you write once and then read it many times now so in, in this parti- in this case um, everything is fine when it, when it comes to uh, you don't have to re- rewrite that data, that data often and from a reliability, reliability point of view you end up with a, with a quality drive but um, when it comes to consumers we which constantly write something on the drives uh, here and there, like download um, a new program or just maybe a set of pictures or whatever. Then you rewrite, rewrite data and the SSD wears out. So Magzai Technology actually uh, proposes to use this memory for consumer drives, unlike Intel and Micron themselves. So, so what we saw was a 4 terabyte. SSD using a Maxio technology controller paired with four terabytes of Intel uh, 3D QLC NAND flash. Yes. Um, this was, an, they said, an early prototype. Um, the controller is pretty much done. They said the controller was actually manufactured on Global Foundry's 14 nanometer, uh, making yeah. the controller very small. That in itself is an interesting part of the story. Um, but, you know, this this early prototype, they said... The NAND flash was good for 500 P cycles, 500 uh, erase write cycles. Yeah, um, and keep in mind that Intel itself and Micron itself uh, said that their memory is good for um, one 1,000 P cycles. The, did, when, when they first talking about it, it was 150, but the idea is that eventually, when it comes to market, it's 1,000. Yeah. Yeah. So. So obviously, Intel uh, and, and Micron have better. Uh, Signal processing than Maxio does. Well, like I say, Maxio said this was you know, early prototypes. They're hoping for a thousand by the end of the year. Well, but uh, that's a lot of work that ne- that's needed to be put, put put there. Keep in mind that Toshiba announced uh, one thousand uh, about a year ago. For Zek, you'll see parts. But yeah, no. See, actually, seeing it at the show was kind of unexpected. So yeah, but uh, frankly speaking, um, I don't expect. Um, QLC to wear out quickly, but uh, since it's it has four uh, charges uh, in one cell, uh, retention might be a problem. Yeah, just writing and keeping the data there. Yeah, yeah. So um, at the same meeting, uh, we also saw the next generation of uh, 3D TLC with 96 layer. Yeah, from Micron. Uh, we we already we already reported that Western Digital has started to ship this type of memory to their retail customers. So think flash drives, uh, memory cards, which probably use this memory use this memory already. And at the show, we saw that um, 
Magazine technology has um, another prototype of an SSD based on the same control, based on the same control as they use for the QLC one. Um, and uh, Silicon Motion all, also has a prototype SSD, SSD based on the SM2262EN uh, featuring Micron Snyder 6 layer uh, 3D QLC memory. So this is meant to be an additional 50% capacity per uh, die. Or uh, same or, uh, yeah, so or just shrink of the day area. That's shrink uh, of the of the coast. But keep in mind that uh, Intel and Micron have to do string stacking for ninety six layers, and that is uh, that's a relatively new technique. I saw that actually uh, makers of NAND will use it. We will use it for sixty four uh, layer memory. I was wrong. Evidently, but with nine to six layers, they're clearly using it, and that adds uh, com- complexities and that's therefore cost. So, uh, going nine to six layer is inevitable, but at this point, it may not uh, make memory necessarily cheaper. Yeah, I mean, but both QLC and increasing layers of TLC are just two different ways to increase capacity. Yes, or and de- and the ultimate idea is that. It will decrease cost for everybody, um, but first generation is usually difficult to do that sometimes. Well, yes, but basically, all memory makers announced plans to use uh, to use ninety six layers and to introduce QLC uh, with ninety six layers. But uh, the way I see it right now, um, it's, it's going to take a long time before such memory uh, hits the market in, in actual products. Well, pretty much everything we've seen now is uh, TLC. Yes. And most of that is 3D TLC. Uh, of course. So basically, all the all, hi, all new high-performance uh, SSDs for the consumers, for the consumer, uh, that, will, that will be released this year will be 3D TLC. And speaking of which, uh, speaking of high-performance SSDs in general, we should mention that uh, Realtek is showing off its uh, new RTS 5762 controllers um, as a show, and these controllers uh, are meant for SSDs that will that will feature um, sequential write read speed of 3.5 gigabits per second and sequential write speed uh, of up to 3 gigabytes uh, per second, which is basically uh, higher performance than we see on. SSDs today. So uh, high-end NVMe SSDs we see today, PCI 3x4, usually around 3.2 gigabytes per second and about 3 gigabytes. Uh, lower than 3. 3 is okay. actually re- requires you to first, uh, well, when it comes to, for, for example, with Silicon Motion SM2262 um, and SM2262EN, uh, they needed to increase uh, frequency of the controller and introduce a new writing algorithm to hit three gigahertz, three gigabytes per second. So, so uh, Realtek does this out of the box uh, with its uh, RTS fifty seven sixty two. So, did it, did they tell you how many cores the processor has, what frequency, or is it still all? Uh, well, if I'm not mistaken, they probably have their own cores. At least uh, they they told me that they have proprietary cores. And so, so, what, so most people use ARM cores. There's a couple of people looking into risk risk fee risk five cores. 
So Realtek could either be using that or... Yes, of course. Well, they use ARM cores for some some other products, so I would expect uh, them to use um, the architecture, but uh, they won't comment on what kind of architecture, whether it's ARM V8 or yeah something else. But anyway, it's a proprietary core, and uh, and with this course, uh, Realtek can do pretty much pretty fast SSDs. Question is, uh, when will when are they set to be available, and uh, how widely are they set to be available? It's no doubt when they do. Um will be there with and Billy will be reviewing them. Well, because but, SSD suppliers already know how uh, silicon motion controllers behave, yeah. how Marvel controllers behave, and so on and so on. And Realtek is a newcomer. So uh, if you come in with those sort of you know high-end figures, people are going to be skeptical for a little while. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. Plus, they need to test them for reliability and uh, how well... Uh, they 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 perform uh, over the long term, as memory tends to wear out, and so you need to apply better signal processing, and that slows you down. Yeah. And speaking of Marvell, and speaking of uh, high performance in general, um, as we know, um, Marvell hasn't yet announced its new NVMe controller. So uh, companies like Plexter, which use their ICs have to invent uh, a way to in- increase performance for their clients who want to have ha- fast uh, read and write speeds. So what Plexter did for the show, uh, it built a prototype of an SSD, a prototype of uh, a backplane, basically, um, that included four M2 SSDs, four, uh, four latest um, M2 SSDs from Plexter, which are uh, M9PEs, that's the name. So with four uh, of such SSDs running in RAID 0, uh, they could get 6.7 gigabytes per second uh, sequential read speeds and up to uh, 6.2 gigabytes per second uh, sequential write speeds. That's so, so, so this is a this is an add-in PCIe card that yes. can fit four M.2 drives. Yes, that work in software RAID. So, 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 so but. So we've already seen cards like this from Asus, MSI, Gigabyte, and HP. Asrock. Yeah. So, but there's something a little different with this card. I remember you saying. Uh, yeah, it has a Marvel PCIe switch. Okay, so it's actually got a PCIe switch on. So normally those other cards I mentioned, they rely on the um, the ability to the processor to bifurcate the lanes into you know by four, by four, by four, by four. But this uses a Marvel PCIe switch on board. Yes, and yeah. that's that's the, the main thing. The thing is, uh, it has f- several uh, PCIe inputs, but uh, the output is only uh, by eight. So, which is which basically means that the switch is the bottleneck for performance. But so, the good so- news is that you can still uh, you don't need to, to um, use a motherboard that can uh, that w- will bifurcate your PC- that can bifurcate your PCIe. So so one of the things with the other cards is uh, X399 has travel based on bifurcation. Um, but this this will be able to just add it in. But you said it's a by eight. So does that mean that each drive is only getting by two is is only getting PCIe three by two rather than PCIe three by four? Uh, well I don't know how the how the drives the drives work, but anyway, we do understand that uh, this uh, 
switch is is a performance bottleneck here. Yeah. But, the, but that's all in response to Marvel not coming out with a new PCIe controller. Well, basically, yes, but um, Marvel will come with a, with a controller sooner or later, but then it will take uh, Plexter some time to actually to actually implement, de- it. implement it and develop their own SSD based on... So uh, it, it means that anybody who's kind of tied into that Marvel ecosystem is kind of lagging behind a little bit. Um, yes, for sure. But question is uh, whether people who want to buy Plexta will actually go and buy this uh, multi-drive solution from the company, because it's still still a kind of uh, an extreme one, and uh, obviously to, it will cost more than uh, just uh, four drives individually. Y- yeah. Yes, of course. And but then again, you get performance which is uh, considerably higher. Uh, than performance of a, of a single drive from Samsung, for example. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's a lot of discussion about SSDs um, and, and flash. Um, I went to a few of the more sort of enterprise booths um, and saw, you know, people talking about, hey, let's do, you know, the 12 terabyte and 14 terabyte hard drives. Now, I know you like doing hard drive news. You told me that you actually... Um, Saw Seagate's fourteen terabyte drive. Uh, yeah, and not only it. So basically speaking, uh, Seagate's Exus uh, fourteen terabyte drive uh, is, show- is showcased at Seagate's booth, obviously, and it also it also was showcased at many other booths. And one of the impressive things is that, for example, uh, Azrock Rack. Uh, oh, sorry, it wasn't actually Azrock Rack. It was Chenbro. Uh, showcasing um, the storage system that contained 100 of uh, 3.5-inch hard drives. <laughs> so, funny thing is, I went to AIC, and they had a 4U system that could hold 108. Oh, that's even better. So, imagine h- how many t- terabytes of data you can uh, store uh, in, in one of those systems. So, yeah, uh, in case of uh, 100... Uh, Drives. 100, 100 drives, you can store... Uh, 1.4 petabytes. Uh, yeah, yeah. 1.4 petabytes per 4U rack. That's, ass- that's a, a lot. Assuming that's like a JBOD and not like a radio system. Of course, of course. Yeah, so, um, but the good thing is about that Exus is that Seagate is working on uh, more civil versions of it for which it will sell under the Barracuda Pro brand. So 14 terabytes hard drives are coming to desktops this year. Yeah, it's. I I know data hoarding is a thing. I've seen the subreddits. I think they'll love it. So. Yeah, and obviously, Iron Wolf fourteen terabytes is coming to NAS market yeah. as well. So, um, so it's switching from storage um, on the networking side, we saw new eight hundred two eleven AX routers from ASUS. Now, eight hundred two eleven AX is the next generation over eight hundred two eleven dot AC, still using the two point four gigahertz and five gigahertz bands. Um, promising more speed, more performance. The high-end ASUS router that we saw um, was rated for over 10 gigabit of connectivity using, you know, you know how ASUS routers do that thing that look like they've got like eight fingers. They look like they're spawned from some sort of hell portal. Well, they they were showing those um, on display. Looked interesting. I think the problem... With 82.11ax, I mean it's 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 a chicken and egg thing. With um, you need the endpoints to be compatible with the routers, but you also need endpoints and routers. Um, with the wireless space 
Um, we tend to see the routers come out first, which is always a plus, because I remember buying pre-N routers before I owned pre-N-based devices. Um, same thing with AC, it's going to be the same thing with AX. That's in contrast to the Ethernet space, where we typically see ports before switches. You know, I definitely prefer having switches first. But, and we had good, you know, interesting conversations with the Quantier about multi-gig switches. Um, when are they coming? And uh, they promised us they'd tell us when they know more. Um, but so that's that's that that was networking. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up um, is that this this show, like the last couple of shows. Um, there's been a heavy focus on RGB. Um, RGB LEDs, they seem, any product that has them, uh, I speak to companies and they say it's outselling our non-RGB, you know, 70, 30. So yeah. the, the, they, they add it, they, you know, say a case, a $70 case, add RGBs, turn it into an $80 case, and it outsells the non-RGB case, you know, 70, 30. This is why companies are doing it. So if you don't like RGBs, um, I'm sorry. Uh, because RGB is virtually on all high-end products that uh, will be coming out this year. Yeah. Um, I mean... Whether it's a case, a cooler... Um, memory. Memory. Graphics, graphics card. card fans. Yeah. Pa- power supplies, power SSDs. Supplies, yeah, power supplies. And even SSDs, actually. Yeah. So it's, People want it's, it's, it's the It's the perception of wanting to show it off. Now, obviously, everybody asks, well, can you turn it off? And usually the answer is yes. Um, the system that we're currently testing this 8086K in uh, that we borrowed from ASRock um, was full of LEDs. I managed to turn them all off you know, so I can sleep, um, except the DRAM. I didn't, yeah. I, I, I think, I'm not sure whose DRAM that is because it's on a list somewhere. I can't see it right now, but um, yeah, I can't turn off the DRAM. So... But in terms of RGB stuff, uh, one thing I saw was from Inwin. Um, so do you remember recently when Noctua announced the, fa- the fans that they designed with super, super small clearance between the fan and the, fra- uh, the fan blade and the frame of the fan? Yes. The idea is that it, using a fan like that means that it's more efficient and you get a better airflow. Now, what Inwin have done, has actually, they've actually bonded the fan blades to that housing and they've created a sub housing with, and it's the housing that spins. So instead of having like that really small gap that Noctua has, they've got the outside thing that spins. It's it's so when you, when you, when you put a fan in a case, you have to screw it in four places. Those four places are static, but the fan in the middle, you know, fully, it fully rotates the housing. So ultimately you have zero gap between fan fan blade and housing um again you know rgb up to the hill um but you know they, and they said 140 mil and 120 mil designs uh, called inwin crown that i thought was really interesting because it's kind of i remember not sure putting a lot of information about how this has taken a long time to research you know to manufacture with precision and then in comes inwin with something that can potentially topple it by doing something that's Arguably simpler. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, in terms of RGB... Uh, Linely has no, stated... So, so, so I actually want to start this story, right, by, set, by spelling out the name of the product, right? Okay. And so it's the Leon Lee, S-T-R-I-M-E-R. Now, that word, how would you pronounce it? It's trimer. 
Right, so it looks like Strymer. I say a Strymer because S-T-R-I, Stripe, right? Very common English word. Uh, guess how it was said to me when I went to the booth to talk to them? Uh, not really. Streamer. Streamer. So uh, that's thing uh, which used to... Uh... No, so it's meant to be for streamers because streaming is a gaming thing. Oh. But the problem here is that... So Lee and Lee is a very... Um, Asian company, they have no sort of Western employees. What they usually do is they have a PR agency and we've worked with the one they had for years and they've just moved to a new one and we've worked with the new one for years as well. Unfortunately, the new PR agency suggested this name for the product. They themselves aren't Western. English is definitely their second or third language for all of them, actually. So they said, well, let's call it Streamer. Um, unfortunately, they made no... They It didn't click that the sound using an E and the sound using an I is different. So, well, so, so I literally had, I, I, I was there for a 30-minute meeting this week, and I spent 25 minutes with the PR team saying, actually, no, you show this to any Westerner, anybody with English as a first language or anybody in Europe with English as a second language. They'll see that, and it will say Strymer. Of course. It will say Strymer. So they have two options, either do a very quick rebranding or just keep it as it is and don't worry. Because um, we actually wrote about this product earlier in the week um, before we actually went to see the show because we got the press, press release. And I read that and I went, okay, Strymer. Yes, that's how it's pronounced. So this is, well, this is an interesting bit in the industry where there's a, dis, there's a cultural disconnect and a language disconnect. Um, you know, and I really hope that these companies, if they want clarification on certain things like this, to reach out to us. Um, I said, if you ever get any issues like this, if you ever get any ideas for names and stuff, you can run them by us. And they went, oh, really? We didn't know we could do that. Um, it takes me five seconds to tell you that it's a name which doesn't work. Well, um, I mean... But, uh, so, so the product itself was just like a RGB, a RGB cable for a 24-pin. Yeah, so it's probably they wanted to say that it streams power, perhaps. I have no idea, but it's 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 just a replacement 24-pin ATX cable from Power Supply yeah. to motherboard that has you know an LED has LED tubes going along um, the white cables. That's all it is. So it's, yeah, that's so Lionly basically uh, has taken RGB to the extremes and brought it to um, to a product that was never supposed to have RGB light in the first place. Well, so, so we've seen RGB power supply cables before, but it's ne- it's usually on the six pin, yeah, um, or the or the or the SATA, or it's ne- it's never been say the um, the EPS twelve volt eight pin CPU because that usually is hidden behind the motherboard, and it's not usually on the twenty four pin because that's usually hidden behind the motherboard in the case. Um, so the fact that they've added RGB means that they want you to put it outside the GPU up. I have no idea. Um, that being said, it was one of the more interesting things in the Lee and Lee booth this year, um, for what it's worth. I mean, seven years ago, they were showing off a PC case that was a train. And you, uh, you, know, how, you know how I remember that? It showed up on my Facebook feed as, you took this photo seven years ago. So it's, yeah. Lee and Lee's going in interesting directions these days. I think um, Strymer is not a good one. Well, but since they are adding uh, RGB to everything, well... They have to get on the RGB train, I guess. Yes, they have to be... Uh, they, they decided to get RGB to 
somewhere where it, it has never been before. Um, and speaking of RGB in general, we should, we should as I said earlier, uh, all high-end products that are coming in, coming in this year will be equipped with RGB uh, LEDs. LEDs. Uh, in the meantime, uh, when I spoke to Corsair, they wanted to keep RGB on their premium products only. So, uh, for example, the company's Carbit series cases will not feature RGB, at least not this year. Because they're lower cost products. Because of their lower cost products. And that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting uh, strategy for Corsa. In the meantime, um, Animax uh, is prepping uh, an expensive computer case that will cost only uh, $70 when it's available late this year. And that one will, be, will come equipped with uh, four RGB fans. So a $70 case with four RGB fans? Yes. Uh, no, no. So I, we did see cases from Silverstone that were just plain that cost about thirty dollars. So if you add four RGB fans to that, you know that brings you up near to seventy. Was it really like a cheap end? Because I, I didn't see it. You did. Was it really like a cheap end case? Uh, look, uh, it has Windows uh, tempered glass window. Okay. Uh, it has a tempered glass front, but um, Animax says that not not everyone likes. Uh, likes glass on the front because it's glossy and uh, gets fingerprints yes gets fingerprints so they might ship it with uh, with a grill instead so we'll see of course and uh, basically speaking uh, leds are not expensive so you you, you don't it's, have to be they, they are competing in a market which is very price sensitive though that's the yes thing. So, so we'll see um moving away from rgb leds um as as fun as they are to speak about Haha, <laughs> sarcasm. Um, there was a lot of mining on display, a lot of crypto mining, a lot of argument that hey, you can mine with our stuff, and you could. Uh, it's also good for blockchain. And we saw big mining setups, you know, from ASUS, from MSI, from BioStar, all the companies that kind of put out mining-focused motherboards and mining-focused graphics cards. We even saw mining graphics cards being sold locally at the yeah. uh, digital plaza. Um, I wasn't expecting to see that because those things are usually sold as you know OEM only type stuff. So, um, so apparently they don't care about it in Taiwan. That's usually the case. <laughs> that's that's what that's what I found. Um, but one of the things we weren't expecting to see for mining. Now, um, to preface this, mining power uh, power supplies above a certain wattage have apparently been in low stock, high demand across the world. For ages, because of mining, everything above, you know, sort of, uh, one company said they had trouble keeping anything above 800 watts in stock earlier this year, because it doesn't matter if it was, you know, gold, platinum, titanium, or even silver bronze, it was, it was just gone. It's, they try, they try and keep a stock available worldwide to cope with dips and uh, rises and falls in demand, but they literally ran out of stock and they can't make them quick enough. So, Lo and behold, we actually see some power supplies on the show floor that are apparently capable of 3,000 watts. Yeah. Um, we saw what the first one we saw was from a company called AFOX. Now, they're a sort of like a China focused, Asia focused brand. Well, in fact, not, in fact, not really. AFOX was established by Foxconn in 2008 to sell AMD based graphics cards. Okay. So today it sells both AMD and NVIDIA based graphics cards, but uh, I didn't see. Any hind parts uh, from from them uh, in their booth, so I I, I assume uh, that we're dealing 
with a company that is mainly focused on entry-level graphics cards. But they also sell power supplies, mini PCs, SSDs, and memory, not really. But, oh yeah, they are branching into memory as well. So it's not on their website just yet, but we did did see them uh, at Computex. So um, a new product for them was that uh, 3.3 kilowatt power supply, which has... uh, which can support certain GPUs, and obviously it's it's it's, it's it won't fit into any uh, computer system. This is but this is specifically a mining power supply, and the thing is, it's double width. I, imagine two power supplies bolted together, um, you know, sideways, and that is essentially what this is. It's you. It looks like as if there should be two PCBs in it, though. Based on our pictures, it's kind of unclear whether it's two or one. There's two. Or, you have to have two power cords going into it. There, but, are, there are two oh, the, bundles of cables coming out of it, so it looks like two power supplies in one. Well, no, no, no. There is one power cord, of course. I thought, it, oh, okay, maybe it's the other one that I saw too. Um, it, the, we also saw a 3,050-watt one from a company called QDON. Which is a subsidiary of FSB. Oh, is, is it? Yes. Okay, so... That's, uh, that's the entry-level brand for uh, c- countries like China, Russia, and so on. Uh, but apparently they want to market uh, minor-specific uh, PSUs under this brand as well. And that one was actually rated as 90-plus gold. 90-plus uh, gold mentioned. Uh, that 80-plus gold, sorry. No, 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 it's 90-plus gold. That's exactly w- what it is. Oh, okay. So th- there, there is no such, such thing from Ecos Consulting as 90-plus gold, so it's... It, yeah, it's, it's, it's their own sticker they've stuck on it. Um, but yeah, no, these... These power supplies are built for miners. You know, you get a motherboard that has twelve uh, supports twelve GPUs. You know, now longer only needed one power supply. Okay, uh, Anton is just showing me the picture of the uh, Qdeon. Oh, the Qdeon. The Qdeon only has one power. Uh, yes, and Apex uh, does as well. Okay, so that three thousand three hundred watts. So you definitely need to be living in a two forty watt. Well, actually, so the, the the customers for this will be running you know inside their own dedicated power buildings so they can manage this no problem because they'll use transformers and what have you but you know in an age where you know 15 1600 watts used to be the maximum you know we've seen 2000 watt power supplies pop up over the years we're now just jumping another 50 percent just straight away into the world of 3000 watt power supplies you know what we should actually get one and send it to tracy to test <laughs> he's, he's gonna really love the ripple on those oh uh, yeah and uh, i wonder how efficient they actually are uh, interestingly, the AFOX people, they told us um, the price of their power supplies, what they sell to distributors, which means that, you know, anybody who's bulk buying. Now, how much do you think a 3,300 watt power supply would cost? Uh, well, based based on the cost of uh, Corsair, Corsair's uh, 1.6 kilowatt power supplies, I would imagine that it should be a rather hefty About amount of money. About $800, $700, $800 maybe? Perhaps. Right. I was told that end retail price of this three thousand watt power supply would be two fifty USD. Oh. So uh how long do you think that's gonna last? Well that's a big question. Or uh, how efficient the, do you think it's gonna be? Well, it's not gonna be efficient, uh because if if it were if it was very efficient, I suppose uh they would cost they would have cost considerably more. Yeah, that's uh, as for the longevity, uh well. Keep in mind that these guys uh, will run at the 
peak. That's their peak, basically forever. Yeah, I mean, throughout the, their whole lifetime. It's 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 actually so. Given how long, say, the hard drive industry is given has been around, we always get updates on you know the longevity of hard drives from people like Cloudflare, and you know, and servers and data centers. They tell us you know, you know they say you know how how their servers last. Because the mining industry is still young in the sense that you know two three years young, we don't necessarily hear about the turnaround times of you know parts other than graphics cards. We don't hear about how often they have to place power supplies or DRAM or the CPUs or the coolers. So yeah, as 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 interesting as a three thousand watt power supply is, I I don't think I'd be confident in buying one if I ran a mining data center really. Uh, well, uh, it depends. Uh, if you are running actually uh, mining data data center, well, maybe you should consider different uh, different I, options. I was speaking to Corsair, and they said their sixteen hundred watt power supply. They they had so many orders from miners that they just can't keep them in stock. They just can't make them quick enough. So you've got that end of the spectrum where they're willing to pay for the hyper efficiency. And you've got this end of the spectrum where they're willing to pay, you know, for a cheaper product. So, who knows? Speaking of mining, there was there was um, we had we walked past an interesting booth on the last day, um, which is actually the first ever meeting I've been able to hand off over to Anton because it's a meeting we could have only had in Russian. Yeah, because the, that's the company which has. Uh, a lot of Russian engineers. Uh, it's actually uh, not necessarily based in Russia because they have offices in Latvia, they have offices in Germany, and uh, in some other countries. So, uh, what they um, what they make are the first liquid cool mining systems. So they are, they were showing two of them. So they were showing two of them, but this, their product lineup includes more. Uh, the the first system is just a, a huge uh, like box like a desktop. Like a desktop that holds graphics cards and cools them using using liquids. So, is that eight? That was eight graphics cards in what is essentially. Like uh, if I'm not tower. mistaken, yes. So it's so it's bigger than a normal desktop. Imagine sort of Corsair 1000D type size, it but slightly shorter lengthways. Yeah. Uh, but and then slightly taller on top, and you know, sort of all metal chassis. And the picture they had in their brochure was had a cat on it because they said these are sort of like for home use, right? Yeah, of course. So you basically just bring it home, install it, and start to mine. Yeah. So it doesn't have any uh, hard drives in it, so everything is uh, USB. It's, it's, it's a turnkey solution. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a turnkey solution. You can control it f- from an app, um, from an app on your smartphone, and you immediately see how it mines and how you, how you get re- how you get in richer. And well, that's, well, mining with graphics cards, you know, as much as that is worth anything. But, well, apparently they also sh- showcasing the more industrial stuff. So uh, the one which is aimed at uh, mining data centers. So what they managed to do uh, is they managed to fit in sixteen graphics cards in a four U rack. Normally, a four U will hold about eight or ten. Right. Yes, at, at of best. Yes, at best. But these guys uh, have built their own uh, cooling system uh, with their own water blocks for for everyone. They worked with Asus on custom motherboard, and they will be working with Asus on custom graphics cards for this. 
And so, so the point is, um, if, if I remember correctly, the, the cooler water block used is designed for two graphics cards each. Yes, and it can uh, remove uh, 450 watts total. Total. So, so we kind of saw these sort of... If anybody remembers back in the day when NVIDIA used to have two GPUs on the same, in the same card, um, there was uh, there was two variants. It was a GTX two ninety five, I think. Um, there were two variants. There was one where you had just two GPUs on the same PCB, and there was another where you had two PCBs with the same kind of air cooler. And there were there were water blocks for that where you could put just the two PCBs, two chips onto a single water block, and that's how that was built. This is essentially the same thing, but for more modern situations. More yeah. So, sensors. but they use a lot of custom hardware, of course. And the key thing is that they can uh, they can put in sixteen cards per for you per for you box, and that's uh, uh, that's uh, that's scanned for record. Yeah. Because I also noticed that they were the only people on the show floor to actually running running their mining systems at full blast. Yes. Um, because we uh, when I went to ASUS, when I went to MSI, when I went to BioStar, they weren't necessarily powered on because they were afraid they were going to blow power breakers. I mean, you have companies using graphics cards in a show floor. I mean, the show floors are designed to hold comp- uh, events like this, but not necessarily <laughs> use all that power. Um, so, but the, these guys were actually doing it, and all, all, all the water tubes from their server were going into a, into like a just a small into a radiator in another room. Yes, and uh, keeping it thirty-one degrees, if I remember correctly. Uh, yes, something like that. Uh, but what matters is that extreme density plus. Uh, each uh, for you box can be it's can be unplugged from uh, from the, from the rack without actually any interruption. So oh. they have a special mounting mechanism for quick, uh, for, quick connectors to yeah, water coolers. For basically. quick connectors to water coolers. So uh, once once if they see that a GPU failed, yeah, they can they don't need to stop the entire rack, but they don't need they need to just. Uh, Take uh, take out the box which contains a faulty GPU and, and replace, replace it. it and put it back in. So mm-hmm. if you are running uh, a mining data center, uh, the company called Camino is at your service. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, we're 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 almost up to two hours in this podcast. Um, so I think we'll kind of end it there. Um, we still got I've still got quite a few pieces to write up as we say this, and which I, we'll be doing later today. You know, I, I literally know your flight. Your your car's coming to pick you up soon to fly, take, to take you to the airport to fly home. Um, so safe travels, Anton. Thank you. And thank you, all you guys, for listening. Um, again, come to Anantech to read your content. We, we, we love to have you. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye.